Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast with your blacksmiths, Tara O'Brien and Ron Duran Jr. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. It's time to harden the fuck up. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. Um, I'm really excited to to welcome, really, our first guest to our podcast. And she's coming to us from sunny San Diego, by the way, of cloudy Scotland. She's a five-time world champion from the world of Xterra Triathlon. Believe it or not, she's a former rugby player, although I always like to say she's the smallest full-grown human being I've ever been around. <laughs> she's a true Renaissance woman, actress, model, podcaster, author, and yes, she shares her bed with, you guessed it, a sports psychologist. She's sometimes called the Little General, Patty McGinty, or perhaps the Scottish Rocket. She has an incredible smile, and like all good Scots, she has a fondness for the F word. Please welcome my friend and former coach, Leslie Patterson. Hey, great to, great to be on your show, Ron. I'm stoked to give you some nuggets of insight into my crazy brain. We're, we're glad to have you, and I feel like I've, with an intro like that, I should be saying it's like an MMA fight, right? I should be saying, let's oh. get ready to rumble or something. Sounds like it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I know Tara and I are both excited to uh, pick your brain about some things. For new listeners, and let's be honest, everybody's a new listener right now. What is this podcast about? We're called Forging Metal, and it's the idea of what's metal. It's that ability to do difficult things in a spirited and resilient way. And so it's about mental toughness, resilience, and grit. And maybe to put it another way, it's about embracing the suck and doing hard things. And so, Leslie, you were specifically chosen to be our first guest because I feel like if there was such a thing, you would have a PhD in this uh, because you, quite honestly, are one of the toughest people I've ever known. And so I think that's going to be fun to unpack. How did you get there? You know, How did you become this person? So let's start with... Going back in time a little bit to your early triathlon career, which you might characterize as, as a disaster, um, it, it, was, it was pretty bad for you. You were disillusioned, burned out, and even walked away from the sport. Yeah. But then you come back in your second act, and yeah. you change your mindset, mm-hmm. and the results have followed. I mean, quite honestly, the world championships have followed. And yeah. so I think where we want to start this discussion is how does that happen? Because I hear a lot of people say, how do I get tougher? Is that just a, you know, just a mindset and a flip of a switch and all of a sudden now I'm tough? You know, you like to use the the phrase that we also like to use. How did you learn to harden the fuck up? What does that look like? And and, and what was that transformation like for you? You know, it's it, it's a combination, right? I think it's both environmental, the genes that you have. Like I had an internal drive to seek out um, adversity. I don't know where that has come from. I don't know if it's a Scottish thing. Uh, I don't know if it's the, the the type of family I grew up with. I think it's kind of a Scottish, that underdog grittiness. Um, but, you know, from my days of rugby, right, it's like I went and I watched my brother play when I was seven years old and he's covered in mud and there's only boys playing and it's cold and it's windy and crappy outside. And I'm like, oh my God, dad, I want to have a go at that. And he looks at me and he's like, really? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, there's no girls. And I said, exactly. Great. Get me out there. Um, you know, and at seven years old, how do you know 
that that's like what that's all about. I just I, I just saw the adversity. I saw um, the grittiness of it. I saw like I guess in, in my mind it was I wanted to stand out. I wanted to be different. And maybe that's because I was a, a fourth child. You know, um, I, I you know the young sibling trying to make their way, trying to be noticed. I don't know what that was, but um, suffice it to say that you know I jumped into that world of rugby, and really it was it was about adversity from get the get-go I mean I didn't even have a changing room I'm seven years old it's snowing outside you're not allowed to wear gloves you're getting knocked about by boys you're hitting the deck you're coming in all these guys get nice hot showers I have to go to the bathroom wash myself off in the sink while women are coming in and out going to toilets I can't even get my laces on undone because I'm so cold you know and, and, and again at seven years old right you just kind of crack on with it you're like well this is what you do right and so I think from a very young age, my parents didn't mollycoddle me. They would send me off. I remember going off for my first match. And again, it was, you know, you go in the bus with, you know, 60 other boys and you're going to some town on the far side of Scotland. You'll go and do your wee, you know, competition, all the rest of it. And you're on your own. You deal with it. You're on your own. And I remember getting bullied at one point. And I don't know, you just kind of suck it up. You're either going to, you know, get on with it or you're not. And so I was brought up in that environment. So then, you know, coming into a sport like triathlon, it's very much about if you just kind of get on with it, you'll, you'll get a good result. And that's sort of what I did. I was on borrowed bikes. I was again out with boys. I was getting dropped, but coming back every week. And I guess just seeing that the, the improvement comes if you just continue to do it. And as long as you love the process of doing it, then you stop thinking about the outcome all the time. So again, from such a young age, right, that that was instilled in me. Um, and also as well, I think my, my dad very much was, not that it was never good enough for him, but typical dad, I mean, typical Scottish dad, right? You know, it's like I remember 2018 when I won my fifth world title. One of the first things he said to me about 20 minutes after winning was, he looked at the times, he's like, oh, Leslie, that's interesting. Yeah, so um, you weren't as fast as your training mate uh, on the run. That's quite interesting. I thought you were a faster runner. I was like, Dad, I've just won a world title. Are you kidding me? So, and then you think back about all of those, and, and he didn't mean it like that, you know, not really. But anyway, so I think those behaviours are just kind of instilled in you from a young age one to sort of get out and get on with it and the second is you're never quite good enough so you always have to work harder we have to start out I think I don't know you very well but yeah. you and Ron know each other you have a history and I think our listeners have to hear how the two of you met each other worked together and you can give us some embarrassing stories if you want to too right I love to tell those stories about how Ron shits himself but you know. <laughs> don't we all love those yeah right that's right there, there goes the g-rated uh, podcast yeah it's, it's, out, it's out the window uh, I, I'll start with with the idea I just I Leslie and her her husband Simon had wrote a book called the brave athlete and I, I found that book and uh, loved reading it highly recommend it for for all triathletes and endurance athletes uh, but what I really liked about it was they really focused on the mental side of, of the game. And I feel like a lot of coaches kind of skip over that. 
I just remember you being really enthralled and excited to kind of dig into the mental piece of it. And, and for me, that's always a good thing, right? You know, someone that's willing to come to the table and to actually change or at least have some self-awareness about where they're at physically, where they're at mentally. And they're prepared to say, hey, listen, I want to go on this journey. Are you prepared to help me go on it with you? And um, that's what I loved about you. And so that's kind of what it was, right? It was about digging into those fear centers and breaking some boundaries for you physically and mentally. And I think we did that and we did that together in fashion. <laughs> uh, I'm still, it's, a, it's still a work in progress, but boy, I've come a long ways. And a lot of it was under your tutelage. I, I mean, I learned a ton from you, probably more than you know. Was he difficult to coach? Um, what did that look like? I was kind I- of a whiner. Yeah, yeah, I figured. But, but the good thing about Ron was he might have a whining moment or a moment of frustration or irritation with himself. But then, you know, if I spent the time with him to just kind of break it down, he would absorb it, go away and change his behaviors as a consequence. And that's always a lovely thing, right? To work with an athlete that, again, is prepared to change and actually changes. Um, so, you know, that was the exciting piece. And probably one of our, our best experiences was we did a camp in Cozumel. You know, our camps are ones of breakthroughs. So we always set really tough schedules physically and mentally. And then there's a lot of partying as well. So it's all about bonding, breaking boundaries, bonding through, through adversity, all that kind of stuff combined. And, and we definitely had some of that in Cozumel, don't we, Ron? Yeah, I don't remember the partying part of it. I, it was usually when I got done at the end of the day, I, I'd have one beer and I had to go to bed. You're done. Um, but I, I would want to, I do want to share maybe a couple stories from, from that. So we went to Cozumel. It was called Suffer Fest. Great name, right? Uh, and and I, I know that one day we had a heat index of 113 degrees. So you can imagine we're out, you know, we'd have a, a training session in the, in the morning two and a half, three hours, we'd take a break. And then another long training session in the afternoon, running through the jungle, a lot of the humidity. And we would come back just to kind of give you the, the lay of the land here. We come back and we'd have a seminar. The seminars were great, but after, you know, a long day, all I wanted to do was eat about 4,000 calories. Thank I was, God, I yeah. was, I was, I was hangry that we couldn't eat before we went to the seminar. And so this was day two of this. And I was with Leslie and I, and I started to whine a little bit. This was early on in my development. So I hadn't quite learned some of the lessons and I started to whine. And I still remember the look that Leslie gave me. <laughs> it was one of those looks like, you know, the, the laser focus, the furrowed brow, like, all right, I'm about ready to unleash a lesson on you. And I was like, oh crap, here it comes. And Leslie, so what, uh, what did you tell me in that moment? And what, what was the lesson? And I will tell you that I still remember this lesson very vividly. Well, I think I brought, brought out my little food bag, which I take with me everywhere. It looks kind of like a, a sort of a, a little handbaggy thing. And I opened it up and I had a bunch of like Tupperwares with food all prepped in it and, you know, all sort of neatly packed and ready to go. And I think I was like, you know, Ron, you, you got, you knew about this. You got to be prepared. You can't just you know, wander around with your head up your arse, you know, just kind of like, oh, you know, you've got to really think about, you know, how are you going to fuel your body? How are you going to create the whole package to mean that you're going to get towards success? Um, and I guess that, again, is something that I've learned from quite a young age. I, you could call it the X factor, that what are you doing to make yourself the best that you can possibly be? possibly be what are all of those x pieces that you're putting together 
And so, you know, again, from a very young age, I knew that nutrition was a huge piece. And then I'm sure we'll chat about it later, but all of the illness illnesses that I've had along the way, the health issues that I've had along the way, dealing with chronic Lyme disease and whatnot, you have to be so cognizant of things like nutrition because you go places and you don't know what you're going to get. And if you've just done five hours of training, you've got another five hours day tomorrow. If you go the next five hours without eating properly, uh, you know, the right kind of macronutrients and protein and carbohydrate and all that sort of stuff, you're just not going to be in the best shape possible for the next day. So, you know, I carry, carry this goddamn bag around with me everywhere. I flip and go and it drives my hubby nuts. It's it's that idea of control the controllables. And when you said that, I had it like a, a dumb look on my face of like, I don't, I don't, I, I didn't get it. And, and it was just a beautiful thing of, there's a lot that we can control if we actually use the, our imagination to say, what, what can I do about this? And so right. I think that was the big lesson. That was the light bulb moment for me when I said, okay, uh, this is somebody, and by the way, Leslie is, she does nothing without, I mean, everything has intent. Um, mm-hmm. uh, she is dialed in in everything she does. So that, that's, it's fascinating to watch. And thus come the uh, world championship titles, right? Because of that prep, uh, which is what I, I want to ask you about. Uh, let's just go to the highs in your life, which I'm sure provided some lows as well. Can you, know, can you talk to us about Xterra? Um, and I, you know, my, my knowledge of Xterra is sitting on the sidelines when I lived in Hawaii because it's on the island of Maui, which, wow. Um, but uh, that's worth doing the race in and of itself. But sitting on the sidelines and watching uh, the, the racers come by. And I was always in awe because I can only imagine the grit it takes, not just for the race itself, but before, during, and after share with us what that looks like, paint that picture for us and what you went through. So, you know, Xterra is a form of triathlon, which is off-road as you well know, uh, but for the listeners that might not, um, it is, um, swimming in the ocean or the lake. And then it's mountain biking on trails and then trail running. And the distance is about the same as an Olympic distance triathlon, but takes a lot longer just because of the terrain. And I was lucky enough to find out about this form of triathlon um, when I came to the sport. Well, that's what got me to the sport the second time, because as Ron was talking about, I, I retired from the sport at the tender age of 20. Um, totally disillusioned. I vowed I would never do a triathlon again. I kid you not. I remember it. Wow. I, I went up to Oceanside to watch a big race up there. Uh, one of my buddies from Scotland was doing it. And I was looking at him going, this is stupid. Like, who does it? I can't believe I ever used to do this. Like, I'm never doing another triathlon. I swear that's what I said. And at the time, I was really into um, the creative arts. So I have another whole other side of my life, which is in film. And I was studying, I did my undergraduate in drama and my graduate studies in theatre and acting and screenwriting. And long story short, I think by finding myself and really digging deep into the emotions through the creative arts, I realised that I had a lot of um, untapped potential and joy that was still to come from the sport. And I just hadn't found the right sport for me. And um, when Xterra popped up, I was like, wow, this is like rugby and triathlon together. This is awesome. <laughs> um, so anyways, I, I find that sport and we, was pretty good at it quickly. Um, it sort of bowed to all my strengths, but more importantly, was was the, the joy for me was being out in the open, being out in the terrain, being out in the mountains, on the trails and kind of dancing around the environment. Yeah, I jumped into that sport, got got pretty good pretty quick. And then, you know, it's one of those things where, once again, as I had when I was a junior, 
everyone around me was telling me, you've got potential, you know, you've got potential. And I wanted to live up to that potential. And that's a really hard thing when you feel like you haven't. And I felt like I was a failure the first time through. And it really digs to the core of your being and your sense of self. Because um, really all I'd ever wanted to be was an athlete from the age of about four. I'd wanted to go to the Olympics and all the rest of it. And so, you know, I really kind of reached this crossroads where I was starting to get quite good at 70.3 as well as Xterra. And I was getting a lot more sponsorship because of the road triathlon because the Xterra is like the dirty little secret of, of triathlon. You know, it's it's this great sport but doesn't get as much of a following. Um so that's where my joy was, but I was still pretty good at 70.3. And I started to go down this path of kind of obsessing over 70.3 and thinking, wow, I could really master it. And I was falling down the same traps as I had done when I was younger, which was, I'm going to do this because everyone else thinks I should do it. And because I, I like the adulation that comes from it, I want to be that type of athlete. And really, I wasn't that type of athlete. So long story short, I, I shit the bed, literally, in a big, massive race with all my sponsors watching. It was in Vegas, 70.3 World Championships. And I was like, I had all of the same feelings I'd had when I was younger. Like, why am I doing this? What is this all about? It's like this existential crisis of sport. And I went out in the trails the next day with my best mate, and we hammered it down this downhill. And I'm like, this is where my love is. I'm going to focus on this. And I went to the World Championships that year. In 2011, it was. And I was in pole position. I came out of the swim in the perfect position. I was right up there with the contenders, as fit as I've as ever been. And I was like, what? The, oh, this is it. Oh, my God. This, like, you know, you get this rush of emotion, like, <gasps> maybe I could do this. And then... But the hair just stood up in my arms. Right. It That's was, cool. I, I swear it was great. It was like, you know, and you've been dreaming since you were a wee kid. Wow. And I had a flat tire on my bike. I'm like... Are you kidding me right now? I've never had a flat tire in all my years of racing in a race ever. And here I am, pole position, chances to win my uh, world title, and I've got a flat tire. And the world just fell out under me. And I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? I managed to fix it. All these people passed me, passed me, passed me. And I was just in despair. And then I just had this moment. And I'm like, you know, I'm just going to focus on effort and attitude. I'm as fit as I've ever been. I'm in this beautiful place. I'm just going to go for it because what does it matter now anyway? Who cares? And it was like all of the expectations just fell away and I just went for it. And I ended up coming off the bike and going from like, say, 10th to 4th, came off the bike in 4th, six and a half minutes down on the lead and just ran like the wind, got myself into 2nd. And I'm like, man, this is, this is a great day. I'm really chuffed with how I've overcome this adversity. And then lo and behold, you see the helicopter coming up overhead. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. She's like really, really close. And you're just, you, you, you can't believe it. And you're just freaking out. You're freaking out. And I'm coming down the trail and I see her ahead of me. And it's, it was just the weirdest feeling. I'm like, this is, I race past her. I'm, I'm like, I can hardly breathe. I'm so excited. And then Simon's at the bottom of the trail. And, of course, I'd gone into the run in fourth or fifth position. And here I am in the lead. And he's screaming and yelling and he's asking the people next to him but but is anyone got is she in the lead like he was so confused he was so beside himself and um this was literally with 500 yards to go so uh, I, I kind of crawl up the beach and I get into the finish and it's just it was just this wild moment where all of a sudden you realize that if you commit 
when the chips are down, you never know what's going to happen. And that, that cha- I think that changed my life and my approach. Because uh, as soon as you get any kind of success, it builds this confidence in the system. And the system is focus on the process, face your weaknesses, overcome the obstacles, and you never know what will happen. So wow. there <laughs> what, a, what a great story. And I, I've heard this story before and it still gets me teary-eyed to hear it. That was a turning point, right? I mean, that, that was, it, was that a moment where you said, okay, this is where I need to be? And, um, and maybe a little bit of, of the self-confidence to say, I can do this. I can be one of the best. Yeah, you know, it's a really weird double-edged sword when something like this happens because all your dreams come true in a moment and then the negative notas start to kick in. The doubt in Thomas's. Oh, I only won because she collapsed. And oh, I only won because of this and that. And, you know, you, you, oh, can I repeat it? And I just absolutely went down this spiral of despair that winter and everything, that the bottom kind of fell out. After all the euphoria, it just went the opposite direction. And I really had to work with Sai to say, what is this all about? How do I recreate? How do I go next year and repeat this if I can? What, 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 how do I even do that? And so I really had to break down what this sport means to me and how do I get the best out of myself? And if I can do that in the build up to the race, that's all I can ask of myself. Um, so we kind of created this little this little strategy. And to be honest, 2012, when I came back, because 2011, my dad, who's been my huge supporter along my entire athletic career, he was not there to watch me win. Um, and that was that was a huge bummer. Um, and in fact, neither was my mum. She was in hospital getting an operation. Uh, so the next year, my dad was rocking up. So I had all this pe- pressure. My dad was coming to watch. Everyone was, you know, Leslie could repeat this, da, 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 da. You know, is she as good as what everyone thinks she could be? That was all the rhetoric around it. And um, to this day, it's the best race I've ever had in my entire life on a myriad of, 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 of levels. I, I, I swam the best I've ever swam. I biked the best I've ever biked. I ran the best I've ever ran. And more importantly, I enjoyed every minute of that. And I was absolutely 100% in the zone. And I don't know that I've ever repeated that again in my entire life. And why do you think that is? Why do you think face, I mean, I know you said earlier that you love facing adversity and it really kind of motivates you, but when, and I'm thinking of our listeners, you know, so many people are going through such a tough tough time with so many different things going on in the world. When you're faced with the race that you think you're going to bomb and you're feeling that uh, imposter syndrome and not going to make it through, and yet it ends up being the best race you've ever had. Why? Like, why, why do you think that now looking back? Because I stopped thinking about the outcome. Mm. I started to break it down and see that the beauty of what I was doing was in the mastery of the craft. Wow. And the mastery of the craft only comes by hitting your head against a brick wall many, many times. You have good days, you have bad days, but you you break down the bad days, you understand why, you relish them, you see that as part of your journey. You're building this superhero and the superhero needs, like in any film, they need to have their, you know, all is lost moment. And you cycle through that, you know, many, many times. And then I realized that the journey of this, film of my life so to speak or of any you know of any race I needed the the characters around me that could help me learn the lessons 
and to become the athlete I knew I could be on race day. And so for me, that was training partners. And I embraced all summer, uh, you know, I've got two of my, two or three of my best mates that I trained with and we had the best time ever. And that's what it was about. We each took each other on these little journeys every day, every minute, every hour. And I broke all of these boundaries so that when I got to the race, it didn't matter about who was there. It didn't matter about necessarily what happened. I was standing on the start line as best prepared as I possibly could. And I was incredibly grateful to not be injured, to be fit and healthy and ready to go. And that ended up, you know, it's hard to recreate that for sure. And I've spent years in and out of doing it and not doing it. But yeah, I'd say that that's, that's what it was about, really. And there's such good lessons there. Number one, the, 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 the stance, the mindset you have about stress and adversity, you know, a lot of people look at that as a negative. And I think turning that around and say, this is making me stronger. I think that's that's I think that's a piece of the puzzle a lot of people miss, and I want to I want to revisit a, a we haven't talked about this previously, but I revisit a, a conversation we had. I asked you once in, in one of our phone calls, what is it in the middle of a race when it's really hard? What is it that that makes you want to keep going and push so hard? I mean, how do you get past that? Because all of us face that moment in life where we go, this is really hard. And of course, we want to quit or we don't want to put our best effort into it. So I, I asked you directly, what is it that keeps you going, Leslie, when, when that time comes for you? And I don't know if we can reproduce that. That What would you say to that? I think you kind of just touched on it. I think it's, I think it's about finding, I guess, what any psychologist would say, finding that state of flow. It's like this meditative point where everything just, you everything goes away and you're just at one with yourself and your body and your mind and you you have this control of your mind that that is incredibly difficult to find in any facet of life let alone a race environment and so you're striving for that moment you're trying to find it and you know that 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 it comes and goes that there's going to be good races and bad races where you find it where you haven't found it um, but you're only ever going to find it if you, you deal with a myriad of shit to get there because that's the stuff that's going to give you the coping mechanisms. It's going to, I mean, we talk about it. Yeah, I think we talk about it in our book, but neuroplasticity, right? You know, as you guys well know, how your brain actually physically changes because of adversity. It grows and gets stronger just like a muscle in a way. So if you can visualize that, you welcome the pain, you welcome the adversity and you say, this is going to make me better for the next time. So if ever I'm in a bad spot, there's always something to find. For me, it's about finding the gratitude in any moment, good, bad, indifferent, um, and finding some kind of joy. And I think, I wonder if that comes from, again, being brought up in that sort of tough Scottish environment where nothing is ever quite good enough. You have to find your own good enough inside. You have to find your own reward mechanisms. Um, so, yeah, I think that's how I've managed to keep pushing through on tough days or tough races. I thought for sure I was going to hear that kind of an answer from you, but I love the fact that it's about the journey. It's not about the result for you. And I think so many people get wrapped up with this idea of their self-worth is tied to a result. It's, and I think that it's a trap, right? Would you agree? It's a total trap because here's the deal. When you do get to the top and you do achieve those heights, what then? Yeah. And, and, and truly, yeah. 
I've had many of those moments where it doesn't mean anything anymore. Um, and I reached that moment certainly in 2013 when I was having these just outrageous results where I was beating most of the guys in the field as well as the girls. And this expectation just bore down on me like, you know, it wasn't a good race unless I'd, I was top three in the men's. It's like, what? You know, and you set all these parameters about what good has now become to you. And, 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 and if you let the dialogue of everyone else around you impact you in that way then you're never going to find contentment and unfortunately as athletes you know with all of the social media we have to post all the interviews you know all the people talking to us you have to kind of have this sort of armor on because you've no I mean you've no idea every time I go to a world championship now in, in Xterra it's a failure unless I've lost to most people like they'll 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 come up and they'll be like, man sorry I came second you're like Bloody hell, I just got second of the world. You know, so it's like, you, know, you have to have this, it's hard yeah. not to let that stuff impact you. So then then it comes down to the bigger, why am I doing this? What is this about? And if you don't have a greater sense of that, then you're, you're, you're going you're, you're gonna to come up short every time. And then how do you deal with it when you completely fall off the edge? And we're not talking about coming in second or third. We're talking about dealing with massive health issues, as you mentioned earlier, that completely level you. Because Lyme disease is, I mean, my heart goes out to you just to having dealt with it because I have so many people that I know that have gone through that. And it's one of the worst things in the world that just wrecks you. How, when you're all the way up here um, racing and becoming, you know, a five-time world champ, and then you're just leveled, yeah. um, how do you deal with that? You know, I think it was a myriad of things. I think, you know, chronic Lyme disease, yes, but then there was a lot of other things going on in my body combined with, you know, when you're a female athlete, you're trying to be as lean as possible. I lost a ton of weight, won a bunch of world titles. I mean, how do you not, how do you not connect the two? You know, but I was at six percent, five and a half percent body weight, sorry, body fat. That's like shocking for your body, right? So you have to cycle it in and out. And I just don't think I had the capability of doing that. And I don't, still don't know if I, I do. I struggle massively with body image issues. So I think you combine the mental piece of the body image issue with a chronic health issue, with the pressures of still trying to reach the dizzying heights that you were at and it's just like the storm of a nightmare i mean it was depression it was crying all the time it was how can i have gone from sort of being this athlete that that i always wanted to be and now i've become an ex yeah you know I've, I've gone on i mean people were calling me the chrissy wellington of off-road sports and you're just like oh my never thought i could be this good and then boom i mean i couldn't even sit down without being in pain because i had some chronic nerve issues that I still deal with, um, you know, so it was, it was, it was heartbreaking in a word, because it's not just about your ability to compete. It's about doing what you love and what's part of your soul. Well, what keeps you going in a, a moment like that? Again, I go back to this idea that, that most people are going to say, uh, I quit, I give up. Uh, there's too much that's going against me. Is that just go back to, you know, what we've already talked about, that that, that is kind of your personality to say, uh, I'm going to fight through this. I think, yeah, it is. I'm a fighter. There's no doubt about it. And it's about finding a solution. Nobody is going to tell me I can't do something or I can't figure it out. 
Um, so then I just take all of that energy um, that I would have put into training or I would have put into the development of my sport and I say, how am I going to fix myself? Because really you're, you're, you're craving that, that feeling. You're craving not the win, you're craving the mastery of the craft. Mm. And I can't even describe, I mean, even now after all of those years, I'll watch a race and I'll watch an athlete in motion who is winning a world title or, you know, just excelling in a race. And I have that, like, I'm like, oh my God, okay, what, what can I do tomorrow that I can, you know, fix this and do that? And maybe I can improve here. And it's just that sense of making your body push those limits. It just inspires me. I wake up in the morning and I can't wait to do it again. <laughs> wow. You know, I, I want to thank you, Leslie, because this, this took a little bit of a turn that I wasn't expecting this podcast in the sense of I expected to just get on and be like, oh my gosh, we are in front of someone that has done unimaginable things, um, which you have. And, but I love the fact that you're sharing the struggles that I didn't expect to come out in the sense of, I mean, Ron and I do a lot of work in leadership coaching and leadership development. And one of the greatest things we both agree with a leader is vulnerability. And you're talking about real issues. You're talking about depression. You're talking about feeling like an imposter, even when you're winning. Um, You're talking about uh, body image issues. I mean, I'm just even thinking of young women, young men um, have so much to learn from your success and your ability to be vulnerable and talk about the hard shit. Like, do you use that? All the time. Because empathy is the the key to connecting with someone. And until you truly connect at that level where you open up and you say, I might have this success in my life, but this is the pain and the torture and the ups and downs that have helped me get there. You can do it too. Because I think I, I grew up, maybe like I was bullied a little bit. I was maybe ostracized. I was definitely the underdog. So I never want anyone to feel like they can't do something. I never want anyone to feel like they're alone. And so in that regard, that's where I want to open up and reach out and say, you can, you can do it too. I don't mean you can win a world title. I mean, you can get the best out of yourself, whatever that is. And it's ever changing. If I can inspire people to to try and to see the beauty in just trying, you know, that I think we've lost sight of that. You know, I mean, it's all become comparison. And, you know, I want to be the, the, the beauty is in the hard work. It is in the alarm clock going off at four and thinking I can do this and no one else's. I mean, I've got crazy stories of that. I mean, we uh, when we first moved out here and I was getting back into triathlon, we lived in this apartment and I couldn't do a trainer workout, you know, on my turbo in our apartment because our neighbours were below. And I, because I was working full time, I'd have to do it at four in the morning. So I used to sit out on the on the sidewalk uh, and I'd put my laptop up in the trash bin. And at 4 a.m. I'd be out there on the on the trainer because it was too dark, wow. sort of cold. And you know, I kind of get a kick out of that, you know, and I think, yeah, I think it's just finding the joy in the suffering. <laughs> ah, isn't that beautiful? That's, that's a great, that fits well with the podcast. And I appreciate that you say, I'm not here to make you a world champion. You know, I, I think that sometimes it gets lost. You know, I never liked that idea of telling your kids they can be anything they want. As adults, we know that's not true. But, but I always like to say, and I love that Leslie says this is what's, what's, what does it look like for you to excel? 
How can we push your limits and how can we find that thing? And it doesn't have to be a world championship. It can, maybe it's a 5K and you want to go out and do a, you know, a PR at a 5K or, or whatever. Maybe it's a presentation at work. And so just to find that thing where you're challenging yourself and perhaps, as Leslie says, suffer a little bit, you know, that, that's okay. And that's actually a good thing. So it was such a wonderful message, I think, for, for all of us to kind of embrace. Two questions. Number one, what's next? And number and the second question would be, what can you take from your your sports, I don't know, career to apply to whatever the next challenge is for you? No, so um I have another career in, in film, so that's certainly what I studied. So my creative outlet is my huge other passion, and it's the one thing that fulfills me the way that sport does. Um, and I think to tell stories in a world that we now have that have powerful messages and that can help people sort of reassess where they're at and give them tools to help them forward is a massive passion of mine. So um, I'm a screenwriter and a film producer. So we have a big project. I think I spoke to you about this before, Ron, but um, we have had the rights to All Quiet on the Western Front, the novel, uh, for a long, long time. And we adapted it into a screenplay. And um, we actually just signed a deal with Netflix. So it's wow. got shot next year in Europe, fingers crossed with um, all of the virus issues. Um, but that will be our first kind of big foray or launching pad. And then, you know, and luckily that, that is probably the other thing that is, is equally, if not harder than, you know, in, in sport and winning world titles. So um, I'd say my, my just absolute doggedness and determination uh, realizing that that getting to the top is a cargo net, it's not a, a step ladder. There's many different ways to do it. Um, so thinking outside the box about all of that, focusing on craft. So making sure my worth, is, uh, you know, as as a writer. So I have to work on my craft. Um, so even although most people see the creative arts as you know, oh, you just kind of do it. You've either got it or you've not. You know, that's like saying to an athlete, you've got a genetic lottery. No, you have to work your buns off to get to the top. Because there's a bunch of other people that are good, but are they going to put the work in to make themselves great? Leslie, we want to thank you so much. And before you take off, we like to ask all of our guests at the end of the show, what advice do you have for people right now when it comes to building mental toughness, resilience, and grit into their daily lives? I really think there's like an epidemic of uh, low self-worth in our society of not being enough. Um, and I think that's um, probably more the American culture, as I would see it, than sort of other European cultures that I, that I, not necessarily British, but maybe French or Italian or just other European mainland countries. And I wonder if that has to do with the, the culture being a lot more me-oriented and it's less about community, family, helping others. So therefore, the finger always gets pointed back on the self. And you're never going to rise up and be enough. So I really, yeah, I think I think a lot can be found from helping others, sharing experiences. Uh, I really do. Super powerful messages. Thank you to Leslie Patterson, professional athlete and coach, co-author of the book, The Brave Athlete, Calm the F Down and Rise to the Occasion. She's also the co-host of the Xterra podcast, and now uh, with her husband at her side, they're co-owners of Braveheart Coaching, 
which is out there helping people at work utilize practical mental skills training for leadership teams, startups, and agitated employees without the corporate wellness shtick. Really good in these times of COVID, I would imagine. Contact them for more information at braveheartcoach.com. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then, join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media. Music.